Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we return to Vance Havner. Talking about his upbringing, Havner says, From our front porch, we could see at night the lights of five little towns. From our back porch, one could see Grandfather Mountain, Table Rock, and Companion Peak standing like centennials along the western skyline. My hometown community was called Jugtown because in the early years there were little shops up and down the road where the potters wrought their vessels of clay. Today, Vance Havner presents a sermon on Jesus is Lord. The following material is copywritten by and provided courtesy of the Moody Bible Institute. You have my autograph verse that I sign in the books. It's more or less my verse setting forth my own ministry. And in it, Paul tells us what he does not preach, and then he tells us what he does preach. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. If I were to ask you tonight, one at a time, do you believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you would answer very comfortably that you do. But if I ask you one at a time, is he your Lord? Lord of all you are and have and do, what would you say? Any congregation can sing, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. But not all who are willing to crown him with their lips are ready to confess him with their lives. It has been said, there are some truths that are regarded as so true that they lose the power of truth and lie bedridden in the dormitory of the soul. I think that's a terrific statement. We've heard some things so much and so long and so often that we take them for granted. One of them is the Lordship of Christ. Somebody has said the word Lord is one of the most lifeless words in the vocabulary of the average Christian. And yet Dr. A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, said it's the touchstone of the Christian faith. And Campbell Morgan called it the central verity of the church. I want to say three things about it. First, it was the initial confession of the church to start with, Romans 10, 9, 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord. Jesus means Savior. The Savior is Lord. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. It doesn't say thou shalt feel saved. It'll say thou shalt be saved. Now the early Christians meant business when they said that. For a Jewish Christian to say Jesus is Lord meant Jehovah. Because to a Jew, Lord meant Jehovah. And for a Gentile Christian in the Roman Empire to say Jesus is Lord, he'd better be ready to die for it because Caesar was not only the emperor, he was the god of the Roman people. And if a Christian said, I have a king, he's gone, but he's coming back, that meant he might pay for such devotion with his life. One of the early martyrs of the Christian church was being marched out to the place of execution, and the rough soldiers were manhandling him. One of them asked cynically, where now is your carpenter God? And he answered, he's making a casket for your emperor. <laughs> what an answer. Early Christianity demanded right at the start a clean break with the world of flesh and the devil. They didn't know any such thing as getting saved and then dedicating 25 years later on. They did it all at once. It was all one one shot deal to begin with. 
And that continued until Constantine became emperor. He became a church member. Whether he was ever saved or not, I don't know. But it became fashionable to be a Christian, professed Christian. And Kenneth Scott Latourette says the church in alliance with a state of pre-Christian origin and flooded by those who came over lightheartedly from paganism was found acquiescing to much in its membership and in the society which it had embraced within its fold which was quite antagonistic to its professed principles. Now that's a lot of $10 words. It means this, that the church uh, began to take in these pagans right and left because it was fashionable to join the church. And in order to make them feel at home as they came in, many times bringing their own gods with them, they lowered the standards of the church uh, to make them feel uh, more uh, comfortable. And we've never gotten over that to this day. And today churches are filled so often with uh, people living double lives, fearing the Lord and serving their own gods, as the Bible puts it, drawing nigh him with their mouths and honoring him with their lips while their hearts are far from him, calling him Lord, Lord, and doing not what he says. The second thing I want to say about the Lordship of Christ is, it is the authentic confession of a Christian any time. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. You can't say it by yourself and mean it. It's got to be you and the Holy Spirit in operation together. I'm not preaching a do-it-yourself Christianity. Uh, we have today, and I think preachers are responsible for a good deal of it, we have created an artificial distinction between taking Jesus as Savior and confessing Him as Lord. We've made two things out of it, which the Bible doesn't do. And we've got a lot of people whose attitude is, well, I'll take Jesus as Savior. That's uh, free and uh, That'll assure me that I'll go to heaven. I'll not make him the Lord of my life now. Maybe I will sometime go down to the front in a dedication meeting. If I never do, I'll be saved anyhow. The only thing I'll lose will be my reward. Well, that's not taught in the Bible. I'm not wearing myself out preaching a cafeteria Christianity and a smorgasbord salvation where you go along and take what you want and leave the rest. You can get saved on the installment plan with your fingers crossed and inner reservations. Old Samuel Rutherford said in his quaint way, how many of us would have Christ divided into two halves that we might take half of him only? We take his office, Jesus and salvation, but Lord is a cumbersome word. To work out our own salvation and the perfect holiness is the cumbersome and stormy north side of Jesus Christ. That's a strange way to put it. But uh, I, I see what he means. It's not a popular term with a lot of people. Uh, now, of course, you don't have to be a theologian to get saved. If a man takes Jesus as the Son of God and as Savior, God will save him. But no man can take Jesus as Savior and knowingly and willfully and deliberately refuse him as Lord and be a Christian. Uh, I agree with A.W. Tozer. He said he couldn't find accept Christ in the New Testament. Not the term. We have it to believe, receive, trust, come, follow, confess. Paul didn't say to the Philippian jailer, now you just to make a profession of faith, and we'll take you in the church, put your name on the road, and give you a box of envelopes, and you'll be all right. He didn't say that. He gave him all three names of Master, Mediator, and Messiah. 
And he said, let's have the whole thing to begin with. You have only one option in this world. You can take Jesus or not take him, but if you ever take him, that's the end of your option. And from then on, you're not your own. You're a boat with a price, lock, stock, and barrel. You don't belong to yourself at all. You have no right to your life. You're a sanctified beggar and a glorified pauper in the presence of God. You've got nothing, uh, even yourself. Uh, you are Christ, see, and Christ is God. I believe that the key to the sad state of Christians and churches today is a believism that hasn't believed and a receivism that hasn't received. Jesus Christ is not standing with his hat in his hand on an auction block like a bargain to be accepted. And we go down and feel like, well, I'll take him. And that sounds like, well, yes, uh, uh, but uh, they've never faced the who, what question that Paul faced. Who are you, Lord? Lord, what do you have me to do? Lord came last in the first question, first in the second question. If you ever meet him as Lord, he comes first after that. There must be the crisis followed by continuance. God's not out just to save sinners. He's out to make saints out of sinners. Some people think if they've taken the step, they've had the walk. But you haven't. Uh, The walk's just one step after another. Some dear souls say, well, I took a stand for the Lord 25 years ago. Still standing. I've moved since. <laughs> they go to church and sing, standing on the promises when they're just sitting on the premises. They haven't gone anywhere for the Lord. And a lot of our church members today, you know, we have cradle rolls in our churches for the babies, but we ought to have another one for the 150 and 200 pound babies in the church. And you know, Paul talks about them, the church at Corinth. They were a lot of trouble and they still are. Now, that crowd would look funny in a cradle row, but uh, we ought to have one in the church. Uh, they're still on milk when they ought to be on meat, and uh, they're fussy. And when the new preacher comes, being babies, they say, I didn't like him. He changed my formula. <laughs> well, a mature Christian, a mature Christian has grown in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And... Uh, We ought to uh, get better as the years go by. And that calls for discipline. Paul said to Timothy, told him about three things, doctrine, dynamic, and discipline. Take heed to the doctrine, stir up the gift of God, and endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And we need all three, and that's a slow process. You don't learn how to be anything else without discipline. I was in Wichita Falls, Texas, First Baptist Church years ago in a meeting and on Sunday morning the great concert pianist Van Cliburn, who's a native Texan, came to church that morning, played the offertory and afterward I had a chat with him and who wouldn't like to play a piano like Van Cliburn? But nobody would want to practice like Van Cliburn because it's drudgery to be that good and after you get to be that good you still have to do it or your fingers are soon thumbs and they find out you're not so good as you were. You have to work at it. Now that, that's true of the Christian life. What if our church members went about it that way and studied to show themselves approved unto God, workmen that needed, needed not to be ashamed, making a straight course for the word of truth? Things would happen. I watched some time ago three postgraduate students taking uh, extra lessons, one on violin from Heifetz, and another in cello from Casals, who's now gone, and another taking classic guitar from Segovia. And this chap who uh, was taking extra 
lessons on cello. He played a number, and it was perfect as far as I was concerned. And I thought, well, what's he doing taking extra lessons? Anybody can play like that. But when he finished, old Pablo Casal said, you're playing the notes, but not the music. Now, I didn't know the difference. But I realized something was not quite uh, A here. And uh, a lot of Christians are like that. They've got the rules and regulations, but they don't have a song in their heart. And the psalmist said, thy statutes have been my song in the house of my pilgrimage. God's law book's a song book also. And if you've got all the rules and haven't got the song, there's something wrong somewhere. <clears throat> I've said here already, these kids that are hoping to get to the Olympics, if we have the Olympics, uh, these youngsters are going through all kinds of things. You, unbelievable discipline. And uh, to win any of these prizes, the tennis stars, my, my, you don't just take a racket and go out and knock a ball around once in a while when you feel like it, if you're going to be as good as those top stars. One of the fancy skaters, young girl, I read the other day she got up at one in the morning to go out in icy cold weather on sure enough ice just to keep in shape for the next contest. Who is doing a corresponding amount of discipline for Jesus Christ in that respect? When a child is born into a home, that's a great event. But it takes 20 years after that to make a man or a woman out of that child. And it takes time to make a mature Christian. Now, salvation is free, not cheap. That's the other side of the koan, though, is free. But the other side of the koan is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And some folks are not much interested in preaching on that part of it. Come unto me, that's the believer. Learn of me, that's the disciple. The believer comes to Jesus. The disciple comes after Jesus. Do you know you can come to Jesus and still not be saved? If any man come to me and hate not father and mother, does not deny himself, he cannot, he cannot, he cannot be my disciple. Peter followed Jesus when he was cold from the Sea of Galilee and then one day he denied him. And for several days he was not a disciple. How do I know it? Because the angel at the sepulcher said, Go tell his disciples and Peter. And then the Lord met him by the sea of Tiberias and uh, restored him. And he was living between two fires, the fire in the courtyard where he denied him, and that fire on the beach that Jesus had ready when he reinstated him. The most miserable poor fellow in this world is a Christian between two fires. Between the fire of denial, and he hasn't got to the other one yet, and being reinstated. And a lot of people are living just like that between two fires. Uh, we have all the way through the New Testament these prospects and uh, Jesus was rather plain spoken with some of them. And I don't read that he followed any of them. said, well, now we'll mark down the price a little bit if you fellas not willing to go all out because we need more folks in the crowd. and We're going to make it a little bit cheaper. I used to preach on the last six verses of the ninth chapter of, of uh, uh, Luke. And uh, the peril of the uncounted coast, the peril of the unburied corpse, in the peril of the unforsaken circle. <clears throat> the first fellow said, I'll go with you anywhere. <laughs> Sounded good. Jesus said, foxes and the birds have a place to stay, but I don't. I think that took care of that brother. I don't read any more about him. The second one said, I'll follow you, but suffer me first to go bury my father. And then, I, then you'll be next. Listen. Jesus Christ never comes next. 
We've got to get over that delusion. The third man said, I'll follow you, but I've got another little deal first. I want to go tell the folks goodbye. Well, that sounds innocent enough. It didn't work. And Jesus said to that second fellow, and that's a text for preachers. I, I've been preaching lately to preachers on the unburied corpse. Many a preacher today is not getting anywhere because of something dead in his life, never has been buried. <clears throat> and Jesus said, let thy dead bury their own dead, you go and preach. That's the way one of the new translations have it. And the third fellow said, I want to tell the folks goodbye. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is no place for a man with his face pointed one way and his feet the other. God's not taking people to heaven backwards. If you're going with me, let's get going. <clears throat> and made it very clear. So it is all, all the way through the book. I have been saying, and I said it here two years ago, that Jesus is not an additive. We have a lot of additives today. Everything's got an additive. Medicine and everything. We've got additive. Med uh, most anything you can think of. Jesus is not an additive. You don't add to him to what you've already got. Nicodemus tried that. He said, now I'm a teacher and I'm pretty well up on the scripture. And if I can just add what he's got to what I've got, I'll have it made. Jesus said, I'm not a new page in your old book. We're going to start a new book. You must be born again. And the rich young ruler, now he said, I've got manners and morals and money. And that's a pretty good combination. If I can add eternal life to it, I've got it made. Jesus said, you sell out and we're starting over. That's the way it is with the Lord. Uh, he said, I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the author and the finisher and the beginning and the end. Now, there are additives. And he told us about that too. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added. But they come after you've put him first. And so these fellows said, suffer me first. Jesus said, seek ye first. When you seek first the kingdom, the additives will have their place. Oh, how people need to learn that today. But uh, the Lordship of Christ is a neglected doctrine. One of the greatest of all preachers, I'll name him in a moment, said, if the convert says he knows the Lord's will but doesn't mean to tend to it, you are not to pamper his presumption. It's your duty to assure him he's not saved. Do not imagine that the gospel is magnified or God glorified by going to worldlings and telling them they may be saved at this moment simply by accepting Christ as their Savior while they are wedded to their idols and their hearts are still in love with sin. If I do so, I tell them a lie, I pervert the gospel, I insult Christ, and I turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. That was Spurgeon. And that is said with power and force, and A.A. Hodge said, any man who thinks he is a Christian and that he has accepted Christ for justification when he did not at the same time accept him for sanctification is miserably deluded in that very experience. And Campbell Morgan said, I don't believe men are ever brought to a sense of their need of his saviorhood except as they stand in the presence of his lordship and discover their inability apart from him uh, to, to be obedient thereto. You don't hear a lot of that today. George Truitt stood on the steps of the Capitol and said, first of all, in explaining all the rest, is the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a good way to start a ministry, as he did, with a statement like that. Finally, 
the Lordship of Christ, is the ultimate confession of all creation. People say today, I don't know what we're coming to. Well, I do. We're coming to a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That won't save them. There's a difference between confessing Jesus as Lord and confessing Him as your Lord. Everybody's going to do it then. I tell people, I'm not asking you just to, just to say Jesus is Lord. He is whether you ever say so or not. But you've got to say He is my Lord. That's what makes the difference. I, and so I tell folks when the fellow says, well, I don't, I'm not going to do anything about that. Tell them, I'm not asking you will you, I'm asking you when. Because you've got it to do. You've got to confess that He is Lord. But what you need to do to be saved is to confess him as your Lord. Now let me ask you tonight, friends. Is he your Lord? Is he Lord of your body and your thoughts and your tongue and your temper and your time and your pocketbook and uh, what you look at on television and your family life? We talk a lot about stewardship today. I think we ought to talk more about lordship. If If a man makes Christ Lord, I won't worry about his stewardship. He'll be all right. And I've had to revise my invitations a good deal in the last couple of years. I used to give half a dozen different invitations to be saved for assurance, for dedication, for life service, and so on. I was shown plainly that there is only one thing everybody needs to do. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in thine heart God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved and dedicated and separated and everything else. It's all wrapped up in that. I guarantee you if you make Jesus Lord, you'll be dedicated. You won't be a worldly Christian, whatever that is, if you make Jesus Lord. And as far as your life works, that'll be settled. God will tell you what to do when you're ready to do it. And that you do that when you say, Lord, that's the second thing Paul said. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? That's the way it goes all the time. But this confession of Jesus as Lord must be three things. I'm amazed, the more I think about it, that I've never seen an invitation given this way over this land. And the last few years in revival meetings, I have done it. We never use songs in most of my invitations because people get to singing instead of doing what they ought to do about coming forward. And so we don't have any singing. But I have found one thing, that if you ask people to do it the way the New Testament says to do it, in Romans, the verse that I quoted there, uh, will you confess with your mouth before men Jesus is Lord? It must be visible before men, Matthew ten thirty two. I was in a church the other day where the pastor said, now we've got a couple here that they've made a profession of Christ in their home, but they don't believe in walking down the church aisle. Can't get them to do it. Well, I preached along this line when I gave the invitation. I saw that woman nudge that man and they came. They got the message. They saw what it said. It must not only be visible, it must be audible with the mouth. I didn't write it. That's what it says here. With the mouth. Out loud. wonder why we don't do that. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you at that great day. It must be visible, it must be audible, and it must be credible with the heart. Because if you don't mean it in the heart, it's no good anyway. That wraps it up, beloved. And I wonder how many of you tonight, in all seriousness, have ever, with your mouth, confessed Jesus, Savior, as Lord, before men, 
And that's what it reads here in the scripture. And I gladly tonight, I, I take every opportunity I can to affirm and reaffirm that I confess Jesus as my Savior and Lord. But a lot of people don't, don't think that matters much. I ask you in all sincerity tonight, have you ever done that? Shall we bow our heads in prayer? You have listened so well. Bless your heart. I can't let this meeting go by. I always preach a short sermon on this subject because we've heard sermons enough. We need to face what it's all about. You look like honest people. How many of you would be willing by an uplifted hand to say, Brother Havner, I, I claim to be a Christian. I have trusted Jesus as Savior, but I'm going to be honest tonight. He's not Lord of all in my life. I'm having my way about some things. He's not Lord of all. But I'm interested. I want him to be Lord of all. Pray for me that he may be not only Savior, but Lord of all in my life. Would you slip up a hand right now if, if that's the way you feel about it over the place? Yes. There, there are hands going up. Others. I knew some of you would feel that you uh, weren't as good maybe as you had thought you were. And it takes a lot of honesty in a meeting like this where we're all supposed to be sort of uh, advanced Christians and I think a little bit and I think your hand will go up more not Lord of all I'm having my way about some things and, but I want him to be Lord of all are there any others pray for me I want him to be Lord of all I, I never I preach this if I go back for a meeting in a church I preach it again I preach it everywhere I go because this is the heart of the thing he is my savior but I, he is not Lord of all in my life. Now, we're not talking about sinless perfection. You know when you've made a total surrender to him. Is there anyone else? He is not Lord of all. But I want him to be. Pray that he may be. Yes, thank you back there. Yes. Are there others? I want him to be Lord of all. Thank you. Yes. Now, we're not going to take time. We don't have time to go into the usual length of this kind of a service. But thank you, Father. I saw the hands, you saw the hearts. Help every one of these dear people to make Jesus Lord of all tonight. Amen. Now, it doesn't say thou shalt sing a song, come down the aisle and shake hands with the preacher. That's not the way it says to do it in the Bible. I wonder if any of you that lifted a hand, I would not feel right if I, if I ducked this issue. Uh, and so uh, you that lifted a hand, would you be willing to do what it says? I would like to ask you to do one thing if you mean business. Stand and say simply this. I confess Jesus as my Lord. Now if you mean it, that's what it says. You believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. I wonder if there's anybody like to take him up on it tonight and everybody looking at you, but you're not ashamed of Jesus and you're willing to stand and say, I confess him as my Lord. I confess Jesus as my Lord. Amen. God bless you, Lord. Yes. God bless you. Yes. God bless you. God bless you, brother. Yes, lady. Yes. Yeah. God bless you. 
Well, this is more people than held up their hands. You see, God speaks. I've learned one thing, beloved. When you honor the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He'll honor the sermon and He'll honor the invitation. And I've never seen it fail yet. And the devil's tried to keep me from doing this. And While I was with a big crowd of Baptists in California and we'd been talking all week on commitment and hadn't made any commitment yet. And I got on at 9 o'clock that night and the devil said, Now make us more. A short little talk. Everybody's tired. Wants to go home, go to bed. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it because we haven't done what we came here to do. And so I did this same thing and bless my soul if we didn't stay another hour. And folks were saying this very thing all over the place. I can't let the Lord down on this thing as long as I live. Can anybody else, whether you raised your hand or not, are you willing to stand and say, I confess Jesus, which means Savior, as my Lord. Make it a definite transaction and I turn everything over to him, whether it means life, service, dedication, or what. Amen. God bless you. I don't beg you to be so glad to do it to be 25 people standing on their feet at one time. I'm just giving you the opportunity. I'm not begging anybody to do it. But if, if volitionally, from the bottom of your heart, you haven't been, he hasn't been Lord of all. Maybe a young person here, I don't know what to do with my life. Well, this will take care of it. If you mean business, the Lord will tell you what he wants you to do. He didn't tell some people because he knows they wouldn't do it if he did tell them. So let's just be honest about it. One more before I close. I confess Jesus is my Lord. And sometimes that last one is fighting the battle. And there's an upward pull and a downward pull. And it's worth waiting on Thank you, sir. I think you're a, a very desirable one to illustrate what I believe you mean business. Well, it's not for me to cut off the service, but we have shown tonight that this is what it's all about, beloved. Father, we thank thee that Jesus is here tonight and he's looking over us. And Lord, I wonder what you think of us. You stood among some churches a long time ago and said, I have this against thee. Lord, what do you have against us? Are we in thy will or out of it or where are we? Help us in the depths of our souls to say, I confess Jesus as my Lord. And I want to be ready when the day comes when everybody's going to confess he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Vance Havner. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.